0: Sharper Iron is underwritten by the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. On this Tuesday, October 13th, we're studying Proverbs chapter 26, verses 1 through 28. The Proverbs copied by Hezekiah's men continue, as the wisdom of Solomon warns us against the way of the fool, the way of the sluggard, and the way of the gossip. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's Word today, we have with us regular guest, Pastor Paul Pater. Pastor Pater serves at Shepherd of the Ridge Lutheran Church in North Ridgeville, Ohio, and Hope Lutheran Church in Sheffield Village, Ohio. Pastor Pater, welcome back to Sharper Iron. Hey, glad to be back. As we get started this morning, Pastor Pater, we're in chapter 26 of the book of Proverbs. What what do we need to know about the book as a whole? The section about Proverbs copied by Hezekiah's men that'll help us into our verses for today.
1: Yeah, Well, I think your your introduction hit it pretty well. Um, Hezekiah's men have copied these these proverbs, and uh, the whole purpose is to kind of instruct the king and any future kings that will come along of kind of what to watch out for. And in this chapter, like you said, we're going to see fools, we're going to see sluggards, we're going to see gossips, we're going to see all sorts of stuff that is, is kind of uh, warned against in this uh, chapter. I, I get the opportunity if I'm a, a great chapter here. There's some really great images that will probably stick into our, our listeners' ears by by the end of this. Of um, just some of the different proverbs that are are mentioned here. Um, my uh, my church uh, hope we just finished a uh, uh, Bible study before COVID hit uh, about proverbs um, using. Andrew uh, Steinman's commentary, and that's that's been really uh, interesting to kind of look through these proverbs and really see how they all are connected, because sometimes we can look at the proverbs and they can kind of seem disjointed and kind of coming out of left field, but one of the things I really appreciate about doing the, the study was seeing how these proverbs all interconnect, and even in this chapter, you see proverbs that connect back to previous chapters or proverbs that are going to get used in the New Testament by some of the uh, writers of the epistles there as well. So this is a a great chapter, and I can't wait to dive in.
0: This chapter really does hang together a lot more nicely than some. Some chapters are a lot more random from verse to verse. But I do think in this section, there's a lot more discernible arrangement of them, a lot more discernible sections. And, And we do meet these Characters in the book of Proverbs is the way we've been talking about them here on Sharp Iron. The the fool is one of them. The sluggard is another. They come back in this chapter in rather memorable ways. It, it's a really really vivid imagery. So let's let's dig in. We're in Proverbs 26, and we'll start at verse one. This first section is really going to tell us a lot about the fool. Like snow in summer or rain in harvest, so honor is not fitting for a fool. Like a sparrow in its flitting, like a swallow in its flying, a curse that is causeless does not alight, a whip for the horse, a bridle for the donkey, and a rod for the back of fools. Answer not a fool according to his folly, lest you be like him yourself. Answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. Whoever sends a message by the hand of a fool cuts off his own feet and drinks violence. Like a lame man's legs, which hang useless, is a proverb in the mouth of fools. Like one who binds the stone in the sling is one who gives honor to a fool. Like a thorn that goes up into the hand of a drunkard is a proverb in the mouth of fools. Like an archer who wounds everyone is one who hires a passing fool or drunkard. Like a dog that returns to his vomit is a fool who repeats his folly. Do you see a man who is wise in his own eyes? There is more hope for a fool than for him. All right, we'll pause there. That's not quite halfway through the chapter, but the next section will bring up the sluggard. So we've got a lot of verses here that deal with the matter of a fool or fools. We'll just start with the first verse of the section. Verse one here in chapter 26, like snow in summer or rain in harvest, so honor is not fitting for a fool. Now, there's not a whole lot of snow here in Texas, Pastor Pater. Yeah, I was
1: just gonna say, you probably don't get a whole lot of snow in Texas even in wintertime. That's right, that's right. What's Solomon
0: saying about snow in summer and rain in harvest, and how does that compare to honor and fools?
1: Well, it's kind of interesting, like um, I'm originally from Wisconsin, so every once in like just a blue moon, you would have snow that would come like ridiculously late into the spring or even into the summertime. So I remember being a little kid and and going to my babysitter's house and it was about May or maybe the start of June. And I was in shorts and a t-shirt and we're driving along and it just starts snowing. And it's just like, this doesn't make any sense. This is ridiculous. This is not the time of year for this. Why is it, why is it snowing? Um, and when I served in South Dakota for six and a half years, I'm pretty sure all it ever did there was snow, but that's uh, another story. So what What Solomon is kind of really getting at here is that snow in summertime or or rain during the harvest, usually you harvest, when the raining season is, is done, you want your crops to be dry so that they're, they're easier to harvest. And if it's raining, you know, especially with modern day farming, you just, you can't harvest your crops because the machines will just get stuck in the mud and then you're kind of stuck doing nothing. Um, so Solomon is saying here like snow in summer, like rain in the harvest. Um, they're just ridiculous. They're things that should not take place. Uh, And so it is with the the fool receiving honor. Uh, Fools should not receive honor because the fool rejects God's wisdom. You see that throughout the the book of Proverbs, that a foolish person is foolish because they're rejecting God's wisdom, his insight. Uh, And honoring a fool is only going to encourage him in his foolishness. It's just going to make him... Um, keep on doing his silly, foolish things, um, and if you honor a fool, it, it's just going to provoke them to do more foolishness because they think they're actually doing good when, really, they're they're not. So that's what Solomon's kind of getting out of that that first verse there. Just as it just as it would be ridiculous for it to snow in summer. Um, it's just as ridiculous to give honor to a fool. It just doesn't make any sort of rational sense mm-hmm.
0: that these things don't go together. Snow doesn't go with right. summer. Honor doesn't go with fools and, and rightly so lest, lest the fool be encouraged in his foolishness and lest, others be encouraged in that same foolishness, to see the honor bestowed upon the fool, thinking, ah, I can get honor for myself if I follow after him. How many times in the book of Proverbs have we heard Solomon warn against envying a fool so that we don't follow after his foolish ways? Same thing here with honor. Honor does not belong to a fool, lest anyone The fool or anyone else follow after him. This idea of of what goes together, what's fitting, what's not, I think helps in verse 2 as well. Solomon writes, or the men of Hezekiah write from Solomon, Like a sparrow in its flitting, like a swallow in its flying, a curse that is causeless does not alight. So we're we're in the world of birds with this proverb, Pastor Pater.
1: Yeah, we we make some real kind of jumps all over. We're going to see animal imagery, and we're going to see other imagery used a little bit later on. But yeah, the, so, so the sparrow, man, I can talk today. The sparrow that it, and it's flitting about, and the swallow and it's flying. They're not landing. They're not. They're not sticking. They're not staying in one place. Um, so this proverb is really about uh, pronouncing a curse with no good cause is just. Pointless. The curse isn't going to stick. It's much like those birds that are just flying around. They're not going to land mid-flight. They're not going to permanently rest someplace. And when uh, someone utters a curse against us that is is causeless, that you know doesn't have any any basis, it's not going to stick effectively. Um, you know, someone might say something. Uh, against us, and if it's without cause and without merit, the charges just aren't going to stick. Um, really, when we look at the rest of Scripture, we see the the only curses that really stick and have any sort of effectiveness are the the curses that God lays out on the people for their sin. So, if we've broken God's law. There's that, that curse of sin and, and death that follows. Like that, that curse sticks. Um, so really this, uh, this proverb is a, a good reminder uh, to not feel down when someone curses you without cause. Um, it might hurt your reputation temporarily, but if people see it's without cause and, and without any sort of basis, um, you know, none of the, the accusations or none of the the sting of those accusa- accusations is going to stick permanently to you.
0: So from the perspective of one who is being cursed, particularly one who is being cursed as a Christian, this would be similar to the way Jesus speaks in several places I want to say Luke 21 where he talks about being brought before kings and rulers and being accused for being a Christian as an example, or I think it's in John 15 where he talks about if they, if they hated me, then they're going to hate you. So when the, when the world curses us or when the world speaks evil against us as Christians, we don't need to have, that's not cause for us to worry because we know the truth. We know the truth of, of who Christ is. So as one who's being cursed, that would be the comfort. There's also, I think, an element of warning here if we would be one to utter a curse. I mean, think about the—what comes to my mind, Pastor Bader, is the, the second commandment and the meaning that we get in the Catechism, we should fear and love God so that we do not curse, swear, and so forth, as Luther gives us. That how we speak of others— should match up with the way that God speaks. How does he speak his name to us in his word? That is how we should speak his name toward others. And and that's primarily not going to be by cursing. So so a bit of, of comfort when we're the one being cursed, and also a warning when we think about how we would use our language as well.
1: Yeah, the Proverbs are always really good about kind of doing this this law gospel thing of, if you're feeling cursed, you know, there's there's help and comfort in in God's word of, of gospel. Um, but also there is that that law, as you mentioned, of like, hey, don't curse out other people because uh, there's a commandment against that. Don't do that. Um, so, yeah, you're, you're right. There's definitely that kind of double focus on, on a lot of these proverbs that we're going to see for today.
0: Verse 3 keeps us in the world of animals. A whip for the horse, a bridle for the donkey, and a rod for the back of fools. So, what's the what's the point of comparison? The in, just in case we're not in the in the language of, you know, in the world of husbandry here with the horse and the donkey. What's the whip for? What's the bridle for? And how does that compare to the rod yeah. being used against fools?
1: Well, the, the the whip makes the horse move. You know, if if you. You know, try to gently encourage our horse and say, "Okay, horsey, do you want to go this way, please?" Chances are that's not going to work in a million years. Um, but especially if if the horse is maybe a, a a little more wild or maybe just kind of recently been been domesticated and tamed, you need to have some sort of physical stimulus to to get it moving. You know, like a little uh, maybe kicking the side to get it get it moving gently or. Um, the the whip in this case. So the the whip is used for the horse, the the bridle, the the bit in the mouth of the donkey to make it go where you want to go. And fools, uh, sometimes like stubborn animals, uh, will only respond to corporal punishment. Now, this doesn't mean that we get to go out and just start smacking fools with rods, as appealing as that might be. Um, but it's a reminder that foolish people are, are not often going to be motivated by words, even if those words are true. Maybe, maybe, uh, especially if those words are true, um, if the, the words go against the fool's narrative or, or what the fool has in mind, you know, often nothing's going to wake them up and, and motivate them like a, like a rod for the back. Um, like I said, that doesn't mean we get to go out and beat up our foolish neighbor. So please don't, anybody listening to this, go out and use this verse as an excuse to um, go out and smack your neighbor because uh, that goes against the, the, the fifth commandment of not hurting or harming our neighbor in his body. Um, but yeah, sometimes fools... Um, Will only respond to that—that that kind of corporal punishment.
0: I think the the place where this is seen most clearly is in what we would call the first use of the law. When we when we teach the law in catechism classes, we often talk about the law and its three uses. And the first use of the law is the law as a curb—that it it curbs our bad behavior. It keeps us in the road, so to speak on on the so that we're not say killing each other as a society, or that not everyone's stealing from each other, just to use the fifth and seventh commandments as the examples. And and in that sense, when it comes to the first use of the law, God has not put the rod in my hands as an individual to punish my foolish neighbor. But God has put the rod in the hands of secular authority, in the in the hands of the government. Paul Paul speaks of the in Romans 13 about the authority of the sword. That God has given to the government, that that there is a, a punishment attached to breaking the law. And, and sometimes that's the only way that a, a fool will be convinced. He might not be convinced that driving 70 miles an hour through Smithville, which the, the main road through Smithville, the speed limit is 35. He might not be convinced that that's a good idea, just like, as you said, because of persuasive arguments. But when you put the speed limit sign up there, thirty-five miles an hour, and you attach a penalty to it—a a rod of sorts—then that does curb that sort of bad behavior, that wicked behavior, in a way that is helpful for his neighbor. And, and I think—I mean—I think that's really where where we can see this proverb verse, let's see, twenty-six three, really come into play.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, as you were. Talk about that, you know, even those who are in authority over us who have that use of that, that rod and that sword, they have to wield it in an honorable way. Mm -hmm. They can't just go out and smack down whatever fool they want to just because they want to. It's always in regards to the laws of the land and, um, you know, a civil servant, um, uh, who might have that authority over us. Um, you know, there's rules, there's laws in place of kind of what they can do and what they can't do in, in exercising that authority over us. Um, you know, they can't just go out and beat up anybody they want to because they want to, um, you know, that's, that's not part of their command and, and what they've been instructed to do in their work. So, yeah, definitely. Um, there's a there's a lot to think about with this with this third one here. But like you were saying, it's very much there are those who are in authority over us and um, are rightly given the sword, so that there's that 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 punishment for breaking whatever law might be might have been broken.
0: And and certainly that rod that's spoken of here in verse three. It must be found within the bounds of what God gives. That's he began talking about what wisdom and foolishness are there in verse 1 that the fool is one who rejects the wisdom of God. And so the rod that's spoken of here is is not one in which some authority figure gets to do whatever he wants, but rather one in which he's upholding what God has said is good and just for the sake of peace and for the sake of preserving life. It it always must be found within those bounds that God has set, lest the ruler end up being the fool himself and, and needing the rod applied to him. So certainly a, a, a very important warning there for rulers as well. The, The text continues with, I think, a a rather famous couple of verses, simply for the fact that it seems like in one verse, you say one thing, and in the next, you contradict it. It sounds like, which I I don't think, but we need some wisdom, perhaps, to discern. Verses 4 and 5 of chapter 26, answer not a fool according to his folly, lest you be like him yourself. Answer a fool according to his folly lest he be wise in his own eyes. So which is it? Are we to answer the fool or not?
1: Yes. <laughs> um, I'll make it really easy for you. Yes. Um, so like you were saying, this is probably the the best kind of known pair of parables in the entire book. And it does look confusing on on first glance. And I remember being in undergrad and, and one of my professors explaining it, and I thought he explained it really well so verse four answer not a fool according to his folly lest you be like in yourself um sometimes well most of the time it is foolish to engage in dialogue with fools because they will just not listen to anything you say um and and we don't want to stoop down to the fool's level and 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 be like him um and you know, just be engaged in the same foolishness that he is. So um, my brain just went to like the comment section on Facebook. Like <laughs> just 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 don't just don't answer a fool according to his folly, because I I, I I have known of exactly zero comments that have ever changed how someone's thought about something. Um, so sometimes it's foolish to engage fools, uh, in, in dialogue, but then in, in, verse five here, there are some occasions where the fool's words are so dangerous that they must be answered and refuted. Otherwise someone else might think that this person who's being foolish is, is, um, presenting the truth. Uh, so we have to be willing to, expose and denounce folly that leads away from from God. So um so there'll be times where I'll see people say really stupid things on Facebook and it's just like okay I'm just going to scroll past that. Um but when there's there's times where people are um misrepresenting scripture maybe or, or misrepresenting God's word, I'll I'll kind of leave a uh, maybe if not a comment to them like directly under the thing, maybe I'll just send them a little message of like, Hey, um, here's what God's word actually says about, about this. Um, So there's, there's times where we do need to engage the fool. If his foolishness is going to get someone else hurt or mislead them away from the truth. Um, We as Christians absolutely have a, a right and a responsibility to, defend the the truth of God's word.
0: A previous guest put it like this that the proverbs need to be put into a context. And I think this is a one of the examples of that where you depending on the context you use these two proverbs according to the wisdom that God gives you from the book of proverbs and there are times where it is wise to simply be silent and not join the fool in any lest lest you fall into the same folly and then there are the times where it is wise to speak up lest the fool lead others astray or continue in his own folly that it is i think telling that solomon says here lest he be wise in his own eyes the fo- the fool needs to be told his folly lest he continue in it for his own sake as well. And so just like we've seen in other cases where there are many Proverbs that speak to us concerning the wisdom of being silent, of, of not speaking, of being careful with our words, and then there are other Proverbs that say you do need to speak up, we've got another one of those examples here. Uh, Pastor Pater, I know we've only got a couple minutes here before the break, and I really want to get to verse 11 because, it, okay. because it's a vivid image that I think is, is well known. And it's also used in the New Testament. It's quoted by the, by the apostles. So Proverbs twenty six eleven says this, like a dog that returns to his vomit is a fool who repeats his fall. It's pretty memorable stuff.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, my mother-in-law is out of town right now and we're watching her, her dog. And the first night we had the dog in the house, the dog got sick and threw up on the carpet. And I knew that we were talking about this verse. And this verse was just going through my head while my wife was trying to clean up after this this dog. But um, yeah, so dogs do this really just absolutely gross thing where when they get sick, they'll go back to the sick And start licking it, which is about as gross as I can possibly imagine something to be. Um, And this is the image that God's using here of this is what it's like when fools return to their own folly. Like it should make them physically sick because they've done something gross. Um, You know, they've this this fool has vomited out his folly and now he's returning to it to lick it back up again. Just, bleh. Um, and, you know, and I, I thought about how often we return to the very sins that should sicken us, but we go back to it again and again and again. Um, and uh, it's, it's a very just ugly, disgusting image. Um, but like you were saying, this is actually quoted, uh, at least in part, by Peter in Second uh, Peter 2. Uh, He says what the the proverb says has happened to them. The dog returns to its vomit uh, and the sow after washing herself returns to wallow in the mire. So this is in the context of uh, false teachers and how it really would have been better for the people if they had been ignorant of God's word completely rather than to know him and then reject him Um, because the fool sees God and then says, "Well, I don't need you, God. I'm just gonna go back to my own sick. I'm gonna go wallow in the mire for a while. Um, and and this is the image that God has for us in our sin and our folly that every time we we go and and do these things, it's like us returning to our own our own sick. Um, I was at uh, there was a youth group center that I I did some work at, um, when I was in high school, uh, back in Wisconsin and we had a little security room that if, if some of the kids acted out of line and we had to, you know, put them someplace safe until their parents came, um, there was this little room off to the side and we had put Bible verses all over the wall for them to look at while they were sitting there. And I remember this one, this verse being on the wall, of like a dog returns to his vomit as a fool who returns to his folly. And I'm like, that is absolutely disgusting, but that's that's us and our sin. We're just gonna go back to it again and again and again, no matter how much it might might sicken us. We're just gonna keep doing it, which is really gross.
0: Well and and that's the really the the grace behind a verse like this is that we wouldn't realize just how damaging our sin is or just how disgusting our sin is. We we tend to think that our sin's not all that bad, And so a verse like this, or or that false teaching is not all that bad as St. Peter uses it in his epistle. A verse like this wakes us up so that we see the reality, so that we would flee from that sin and false teaching and instead rejoice in the goodness that God gives us in his word and in the truth. We're going to keep looking at that truth here on Sharper Iron this morning from Proverbs 26. Taking a short break, but we'll be right back. Please stick around. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Tuesday, October 13th. We're studying Proverbs chapter 26, verses 1 through 28. We've got Pastor Paul Pater with us. He serves at Shepherd of the Ridge Lutheran Church in North Ridgeville, Ohio, and Hope Lutheran Church in Sheffield Village, Ohio. Remember, if we skip over something that you want to hear more about, give us a call, 314-996-1542. Leave a message there on the listener comment line or send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org. Let me know what you want to hear more about, and I'll be recording some short bonus podcast material to help you sharpen your faith in Christ from the book of Proverbs. Pastor Peter, we heard a lot about the fool in verses 1 through 12 of this chapter. Solomon gives us another recurring character in this next section, beginning in verse 13. We meet the sluggard yet again. The sluggard says there is a lion in the road, there is a lion in the streets. As a door turns on its hinges, so does a sluggard on his bed. The sluggard buries his hand in the dish, it wears him out to bring it back to his mouth. The sluggard is wiser in his own eyes than seven men who can answer sensibly. Whoever meddles in a quarrel not by his excuse me, whoever meddles in a quarrel not his own is like one who takes a passing dog by the ears like a madman who throws firebrands, arrows, and death, is the man who deceives his neighbor and says, I am only joking. For lack of wood, the fire goes out, and where there is no whisperer, quarreling ceases. As charcoal to hot embers and wood to fire, so is a quarrelsome man for kindling strife. The words of a whisperer are like delicious morsels. They go down into the inner parts of the body. Like the glaze covering an earthen vessel, are fervent lips with an evil heart. Whoever hates disguises himself with his lips and harbors deceit in his heart. When he speaks graciously, believe him not, for there are seven abominations in his heart. Though his hatred be covered with deception, his wickedness will be exposed in the assembly. Whoever digs a pit will fall into it, and a stone will come back on him who starts it rolling. A lying tongue hates its victims, and a flattering mouth works ruin." That is the rest of the text for this morning, Proverbs 26, verses 13 through 28. So we've got the sluggard here again, Pastor Peter. I think you said one of your, your favorite characters in the book of Proverbs. Not one to be emulated, oh, yeah. though. So No,
1: verse I just like the word sluggard. It's good. Yeah. <laughs> well,
0: it, I mean, you know, you get the feel for the sluggard just from his name, the sluggard, the the laziness in which you have to kind of say that word. It's, it's inherent. So the first thing that the sluggard says is, is he's, he's worried about this lion in the road or in the streets. Why, why is this a characteristic of the sluggard? What's, why is he talking about a lion?
1: The sluggard is making up, crazy stories so that he doesn't have to go to work. So a sluggard is a, is a lazy person who will do anything they can to avoid work. So if he says, oh man, there's a, there's a lion in the road, that's an excuse for him. Oh, well, oh, look, I mean, there's a lion out in the road. I obviously can't go to work because there's a lion there and it's going to kill me. Um, but this is, excuse is especially ridiculous because there's Not any lions in the urban regions of Palestine. You could find some maybe out in the more kind of wild areas where there's not as many people. But in town, walking down the road, you're not going to see a lion. So this, this excuse that he makes up is just so ridiculous and preposterous, but he'll do anything he can to avoid work. Um, and, and we even, you know, see this in our own day where, where people might make excuses of, oh, well, you know, I can't go to work cause this, that, or the other thing. And it's just like, it's not that you can't go to work. It's just, you don't want to go to work. You want everyone else to do the work for you so that you can reap the rewards. And we'll see that in a, a couple of verses as well. But yeah, the sluggard is just, um, to me, I picture like a slug that like goes along the ground all slimy and gross. Just envision that personified as a person of just like this is the image of just some sleazy, gross, slow doesn't want to do anything kind of kind of person.
0: And and yet he he makes himself out to be the opposite of that or to have good reasons for it. Now Solomon does expose the true picture for us and in verses 14 and 15 he gives us some pretty vivid images first he compares the sluggard on his bed to a door on its hinges and then he talks about the way that the sluggard even eats and how his laziness is inherent even in in an activity like that. Take us into the next two verses concerning the sluggard.
1: Verse 14 to me is just hilarious because it pictures the slugger laying on his bed. And what does a door do on its hinges? It can only go one way or the other. It can go open or close. And you picture the slugger just turning over in bed one way and then turning over the other and then turning over the other and just not wanting to go to work. They just lay in bed all day. They're just they're, they they feel like they're stuck in bed and that's all they can do. It's just turn and turn and turn and that's it. And that's, I mean, to me, that's just a, I mean, it's a it's a humorous picture, but expresses a really kind of dark truth about the sluggard of they're, they're lazy. They just don't want to get up and, and go and, and do the work that they've been called to do. So they just stay in bed and toss and turn and toss and turn and toss and turn some more and just don't want to get up.
0: Hmm. And then in, in verse 15, you have a similar thing. It, I think in all of these verses, the thing that, that seems to tie them together is that the sluggard is limited in his movement. So the first verse, 13, he's he's stuck in his house because he's a, afraid of this, or he's making up this danger concerning the lion. He's stuck in bed. Now he's even stuck when he's eating in verse 15.
1: Yeah. So um, you have kids. I've got a kid. Have you ever seen this thing where your kid is just so tired that or lazy and they just they have the food in front of them and the fork is in their hand but they just complain and gripe that they don't have the energy to put the fork in their mouth like this this is the image of the sluggard that he's so lazy he puts his hand into the dish to grab food but it it wears him out it just tires him out so severely to put his hand up to his mouth and eat mm. like that is the ultimate form of laziness like they almost want kind of like uh, you know someone to come along and and feed them so that um you know they they don't have to expend their precious energy on on trying to to feed themselves cuz uh, feeding myself just takes too much, too much time and too much energy.
0: Well, I think it really does serve as the height of laziness because generally, it, when you when you make an excuse not to go to work, and and when you make an excuse to stay in bed all day or for a good chunk of the day, you're you're the laziness. Usually, eating the act of eating or, or sitting down for a meal becomes a bit of a highlight. This is, you know, I'm, I'm going to enjoy my meal. And so you see the real height of the laziness of the sluggard that even that act, he can't even muster up the energy to do that. And, and again, so that we, we make sure that we, you know, it's not just a matter of sort of mocking someone, but it is the reality is work is a gift of God. God gives us work. He gave it to Adam before the fall into sin, and he uses that work to benefit us and especially to benefit our neighbor through the many vocations to which God has called us. And and that's the the problem with the sluggard is that he's shirking these God-given responsibilities in which God seeks to bring good to his neighbor and also to benefit the person himself. And the sluggard just misses all of that because of his laziness and i think in verse 16 as solomon concludes this little mini section concerning the sluggard you see the real the the real danger there in verse 16 the sluggard is wiser in his own eyes than seven men who can answer sensibly. If if we were chuckling at the images that Solomon gave us in those first couple of verses, he shows us that the matter of the sluggard is really no no matter of of laughing at all, but is quite serious in fact.
1: Yeah, I mean here you've got like just the ultimate deception on the sluggard's part that he's actually even deceived himself into thinking oh man, I've really got life in the bag. I'm really wise. I'm really smart. I've got life all figured out. Why should I work harder when others are just going to pick up the slack for me? Why doesn't everybody just think like I do? Like It's it's so much easier to just push off responsibilities on other people. And then I can sit back and relax and do nothing. These These idiots that go to work all the time just don't, don't, they're not as smart as me. That's what the sluggard would say. And you look at that and you're just like, I, I don't even know how to begin to process everything that's wrong with that. <laughs> of, uh, like you were saying, you know, work is a gift that God gives to us. Um, and that work is done for the benefit of the neighbor. Uh, the sluggard is only in it for himself. He's only in for whatever brings him the most uh, relaxing time, the most, um, you know, the most enjoyment on his part. And if someone else has to handle his responsibilities, well, goody, that means he doesn't have to. Like, um, yeah, this is just kind of the ultimate deception here, like I said, where the sluggard actually thinks what he's doing is, is wise And doesn't see the foolishness of how it's not only hurting himself, uh, but it's hurting the people around him who have to go and pick up his slack.
0: And, And I mean, here with this matter of being wise in his own eyes, it really connects him back to the fool and makes him worse than the fool. We didn't talk about verse 12 previously, but verse 12 does say, Do you see a man who is wise in his own eyes? There is more hope for a fool than for him. And so the, the sluggard finds himself right there, even more hopeless than a fool, because now he he's wise in his own eyes and and not not only is he lazy, but he's not going to be instructed in the truth and brought out of that laziness. And so the the sluggard, again, we, we see the the foolishness there. Solomon, as he continues then in the following verses, it's a bit more variety than what we've seen, but I do think that the theme of of speech and how a person uses his or her words really comes into play. So we'll just start with verse 17 and see how the conversation goes. Whoever meddles in a quarrel not his own is like one who takes a passing dog by the ears. Here we are again with with animals in the, in the streets.
1: Yeah, well, and this one, you know, if you've ever seen a random dog walking down the road, The absolute worst way to interact with it is to try to go up and grab it by the ears. That's a great way for you to get bitten and get taken to the hospital. Um, So the the dogs that are actually mentioned here in the the text, these aren't dogs as in like a a, a pet that someone would have in their house, but there were often wild dogs that might roam the streets of Israel and they would do it in, in packs. Um, So if you grab one by the ear, you can't let go because that one's going to bite you. But you can't hang on because now the other dogs are going to attack you for picking on their buddy. So to to grab a passing dog by the ears is a lose-lose situation. You're not going to get any sort of betterment Uh, out of that it's just only going to end in hardship so getting involved in someone else's quarrels um is only going to end up hurting you in the end Um, you know some quarrels are just not for us to solve no matter how helpful we might want to be you know there might be times where we're like oh you know i can i can really help you out in this this fight that you're having with someone Um, and, and sometimes that might be meant out of, out of good Christian love, but other times, yeah, I mean, it's just a good way for two angry people to end up angry at you. Um, and that's, that's not kind of what we want to strive for there. So um, yeah, don't meddle in someone else's quarrels. Now, if someone asks you for for help or they, they um, kind of want to, you know, bounce something off of you, that's one thing, but this, This proverb here is really about like interjecting yourself into a problem that is not yours, and that's just not. Not a good
0: idea, right? The the Apostle Paul in the New Testament talks about those who would be busybodies, and I think that would be the the one who would meddle in a quarrel, and and certainly has words of, of wisdom, much like Solomon does here. But then there is also the matter that Paul talks about bearing each other's burdens in Christ, and that would be, I think, the second example that you brought up that there is a, a time to bear each other's burdens, to to be of assistance in the matter of reconciliation between brothers who are who are sinning against each other or who are involved in a conflict that may be the case but don't don't go meddling in a quarrel that is not your own very very good wisdom here from solomon yet again he continues verses 18 and 19 like a madman who throws firebrands, arrows and death is the man who deceives his neighbor and says i am only joking that's a pretty vivid I, image again. Oh, yeah,
1: yeah. I I absolutely hate pranks. I, I, I don't like being pranked. I don't like pulling pranks on other people. Um, and, you know, there, there was this big fad on the Internet for a while of, of people doing really horrible things to each other and then screaming, oh, it's just a prank, bro. It's just a prank. ha, uh-huh, isn't that funny? No, you're a terrible human being for putting someone through that. Uh, pranksters are like madmen who are running around throwing, um, fiery torches and arrows and death. Um, the person who deceives his neighbor and says, Oh, I'm just kidding. Um, that's, that's just terrible. Like God doesn't want us to to do that, that kind of behavior. Like there's, there's a time for, for joking around with your friends and, and having fun and that that's fine. But if it's at someone else's expense and at someone else's hurt feelings, that's just yeah. It's it's like someone tossing around arrows and saying, "Oh, don't worry, it's just a prank." Meanwhile, someone's getting shot or burned or killed. You know, in in the imagery used here in the in the text, yeah, pranks not good. Don't don't do those. Hmm.
0: Well, and I mean, just the idea of the of covering up something that has malicious intent with this sort of, well, I mean, to use the language that Psalm is going to to bring up now, like this whispering, this, Mm. this sort of malicious speech that is no one, no one's being fooled in a case like this, right? We're not talking about, like it says, good humor between friends, but we're talking about using false speech to cover up, malicious intent that's that's what we're talking about here and so again words of words of wisdom very applicable still today perhaps even more so in an age in which the internet allows us to to see all kinds of things that we might not have known about earlier solomon continues and this is really where you get the matter of how your speech affects matters like quarreling so i'm going to read a couple verses here i think that that hang together for lack of wood the fire goes out and where there is no whisperer Quarreling ceases. As charcoal to hot embers and wood to fire, so is a quarrelsome man for kindling strife. The words of a whisperer are like delicious morsels, they go down into the inner parts of the body. Uh, uh, Maybe the, the image isn't exactly the same through all those verses, but I do think you see the way that our speech either affects a quarrel to put it to an end or it causes it to be even greater of a fire.
1: Yeah. Well, and that imagery of fire is used in, in James as well. You know, they often talk about James as kind of being the, the proverbs of the New Testament. And I wanted to read here a little bit from James 3. Uh, How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body setting on fire the entire course of life and set on fire by hell. Now, (laughs) James isn't exactly sugarcoating things, is there, is he? He's he's saying um, our our tongue can get us into a lot of trouble, especially when we're quarreling and whispering and and gossiping. So to go back to kind of verse 20 here, um, if there's a lack of fire, or excuse me, a lack of wood, a fire is eventually going to go out. And if there's no one going around and, and whispering and kind of stirring up trouble behind people's backs, eventually quarreling is going to cease. If people would stop gossiping and stop whispering about one another behind each other's backs, the world would be a much better place. Um, and gossippers gossipers usually aren't interested in solving the problem, right? They just want to spread the gossip so that they can look better by comparison. Um, you know, if you hear about someone who's gotten a a, a divorce or is having difficult times in their, their family life, I mean, that gossip flies so fast. And you tell it because it makes you feel better about yourself in some kind of sick, twisted way. Um, but what uh, Solomon is, is saying here is if you want those quarrels to cease, you, you got to stop. Talking about each other behind each other's backs, and he talks about that in, in kind of the next verse there as well. Of uh, charcoal to hot embers and, and wood fires, a quarrelsome man kindling strife. Um, so my my wife really loves uh, having bonfires at our house, and I'm always surprised that after we have a bonfire uh, and it, and it looks like the fire is pretty much gone out, the next day she can go out and just poke some of the um, embers that are still kind of at the the bottom of this fire. And you can have a raging fire going again in like three minutes. And that just reminds you of like a quarrelsome person who loves to start fights that they're just, they're habitually stoking these fires wherever they go just because they can, they, they want to kindle up this strife and it doesn't take much. It just takes a little bit of a, a car, uh, charcoal a little bit of an ember and then that that fire will will be a raging inferno pretty quick mm. um yeah
0: i think one of as you were talking one of the things that comes out from these proverbs is the connection between the ninth and tenth commandments and the commandments that come before it so the the ninth commandment in the explanation we have in the catechism luther talks about the scheming that happens that we would use to get our neighbor's inheritance or house and in the 10th commandment he talks about the way that we would entice the people and the helpers in our neighbor's life we would work behind the scenes with with things exactly like solomon's bringing out here the matter of of whispering or the the quarrelsome, just the poking at the embers, all that stuff that that happens behind the scenes, which maybe looks innocent, or or maybe no one other than the Lord knows, all of that is sin, as the commandments teach us, and it leads to far worse consequences, to these greater quarrels. Whereas when we when we leave those things behind, when we when we work on the the matter of covetousness within our hearts, then the fruit that comes about to to use the positive way that solomon speaks in verse 20 quarreling ceases where we take the fuel away from the fire where we where we go to the real root of the problem the covetousness that's in our hearts that takes away the fuel from the fire and and the commandments that come before it those you start to see the the fruit being born in in those places as well
1: yeah yeah and I really like the the way you put that to, to put that in kind of a, a positive aspect because so often when we talk about speech, we go straight negative, right? Mm-hmm. We talk about um, gossip and, and how you shouldn't do that. And, and the, the words in verse 22 here um, remind us about that that temptation to, to break the Eighth Commandment, it, that it's like delicious morsels, um, that they go down into uh, a person and, um, but when, when we gossip, that, that gossip goes down into our very soul and corrupts us. So that's kind of a negative aspect of how to look at that. But the positive aspect, when we fill ourselves with God's word, when we consume his um, his, his word of, of grace and mercy for us, that goes down into our very souls, too. And that's something that can bring us healing and and reconciliation, like you were talking about just a little little bit ago, um, I think those are, are very uh, important things to, to keep in mind as we talk about gossip and talk about our our, our use of our words.
0: We've got about two minutes left, Pastor Pater. We haven't covered every verse, obviously, but I think we've gotten a flavor for everything that is in this section. As we wrap up this morning, help us summarize what we've talked about, and, and especially help us to see how a text like this points us toward our Savior, Jesus Christ.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, we we see a lot of negative examples in today's text. And by that, I mean, don't be like the fool. Don't be like the sluggard. Don't be like the gossip, because you see just reading through these proverbs, how ridiculous it is to be each one of these. Um, To be the fools as ridiculous as it's snowing in the middle of summer to be a sluggard is to be, you know, as ridiculous as not being able to put your own hand to your mouth to feed yourself. Uh, to be the gossip is is ridiculous because it just is like a guy trying to grab the ears of a, a wild dog. Like no one in their right mind would do these things, and yet you and I, we often we do these things in our in our sin, and yet we find um, throughout the scriptures that ultimate wisdom and ultimate refreshment and ultimate words of comfort are really found in Christ, in who he is and what he's done for our sake as he's gone on the cross and, and suffered and died and, and rose again for our sake, that when we look at everything else in the world, it's just, everything else is just plain foolishness when compared to the Uh, awesomeness of knowing who our God is and what he's done for our sake.
0: Pastor Paul Pater is the pastor at Shepherd of the Ridge Lutheran Church in North Ridgeville, Ohio, and Hope Lutheran Church in Sheffield Village, Ohio, helping us this morning with Proverbs chapter 26 verses 1 through 28. Pastor Pater, thanks for being our guest today.
1: Thanks again. Hopefully we still have listeners on this side of the the radio break because I think the, the dog vomit thing might have gone a little far, but that's okay. We'll be all right. So,
0: <laughs> There is wisdom in the book of Proverbs for you. Solomon uses stark imagery to put it into your mind so that you would see the foolishness of sin and the great wisdom that is yours in Christ, crucified and risen for you. I'm your host here on Sharper Iron. Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithfield, Texas. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow.